This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Jim Feng, founder and CEO of Fixable. It's an end-to-end virtual pain and prevention platform that uses machine learning, augmented reality, and gamification to coach people out of pain whilst empowering them with better human performance and better clinical engagement with their healthcare providers. Jim talks us through the journey from Cairo to health tech founder whilst explaining the observations and iterations in product development to build Fixable. We break down the reasons why digital health for the musculoskeletal professionals is not only needed, but how it adds value to patients, how it improves engagement, healthcare outcomes, and potentially better professional work lives for healthcare professionals. We talk through some game-changing digital health opportunities such as augmented reality for MSK healthcare, value-based healthcare funding models, and distributed teams in healthcare. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Yanni. How are you? I am good. All things considered, going pretty well, Jim. Really looking forward to having a chat with you today about what you're up to with Fixable. And hearing about your journey, you've got a very colorful history in terms of your work life and some of your personal interests as well. So what journey have you been on clinically that leads you to have some realizations that open the door towards building Fixable? And then we'll sort of break down what Fixable is. I'm a chiropractor by profession and I have a background in strength conditioning and I worked as a practitioner for the past 13 years to really get people better and at the highest levels work with the national wrestling team as well as the, the UFC and getting people better. I feel like I've spent a lot of time to kind of perfect that and then I feel really good having hundreds of practitioners I've worked with in the past to really formulate solutions to get people better. and. The problem was they're so locked up into brick and mortar and siloed into these very complicated and expensive experiences. So we really wanted to create something for the world to be able to democratize that type of care. And only about 25% of the population only has really good access to physical therapies and related services, not just physical alone, because of time and money. So we really wanted to build something that could engage people better as well as get people better faster. Were you sort of experiencing that from the point of view of your own profession and some of your peers in the industry? Tell us about the observations and the insights into what it's like to be a healthcare professional in that traditional bricks and mortar type clinic model and how that was limiting or perhaps not addressing some of the pain points or the opportunities to serve the community in a better way. One of the key issues was that the insurance dollars that are allocated to physical therapy is diminishing over time. So on average, insurance policies here anyways have about three to $500 worth of coverage where the national average required about nine treatments. On average, the cost of treatment is like $70, $80. How do you actually get better while being covered? So there's a huge discrepancy, right? And then you want the national average of nine, about 70% of people actually drop off the treatment plan before they're discharged. So they're more likely to hurt themselves again in the future. 
So we really wanted to create a system where we're able to work within the current insurance models, but able to provide better care to fully discharge. I really wanted to work also on prevention, but prevention is extremely hard because people are bloody lazy and uh, it's really hard to get them to move. But I believe what, when you start building trust around an experience that got them better, made it big, now they're more likely to work on prevention. So example would be low back pain. The reoccurrence rate is like two times a year if you don't work on great core stabilization from low back pain treatment to core stabilization. That means like all the muscles around the core, your diaphragm and your pelvic floor, those muscles really engaging and stabilizing is really important. I think those are the really insights that will trigger me to build the technology layer to get people better. And I've had to run into, I guess, uh, on the tech side of things previously as well. In 2010, I built one of the first ASP or cloud-based electronic medical records. So that got me into tech, got my beak wet, if you will, <laughs> and from their angel invested a bit. So, but really understand I'm an operator and wants to solve this massive, massive problem that's eaten into people's lives and really affects people's lives in a very core foundational piece that creates morbidity. It's a big player in chronic medical issues. And I think that there's gotta be better solutions out there. It comes down a lot too. I think that bricks and mortar model assumes that everybody can and will move from whatever location they happen to be in to go and find healthcare and get access to it. That's clearly not the case because there are a lot of people who doesn't naturally conform to their lifestyle choices or their location or even their schedules before we go into kind of how they feel about the engagement experience and things of that nature. So what is fixable in terms of your brand and also the technology that you've actually implemented and why you've done that? At first, I think fixable just was the programming side. Here's a programming to get you from A to B. Well, we realized the engagement really needs to be solved. So uh, Fixable is an end-to-end patient engagement platform. And we do this with a virtual approach. From a patient experience standpoint, as soon as you run into an injury, you're able to talk to a practitioner within the 24 hours. And then you're able to now create a digital solution for you that engages with you on a daily basis. The deeper technology is also to change the sets of reps and the programming specifically to that person. And then on the other side, we're really building deep technologies and augmented reality to provide real-time feedback and movement just with your front-facing camera. So this will help you, you know, correct your movements, but also provide feedback and assessment tools that can help practitioners remotely monitor their patients. I think the programming alone is extremely important. But I think the engagement side is even more important because there's that lazy human that needs to really push and continuously push for good results. And that, that should be done on a daily basis. So it's digital engagement. It's kind of digital first. Is it fair to say musculoskeletal therapy online? That's right. Is, yeah. That's so right. it covers broadly. So notwithstanding that you come from a chiropractic background, I noticed you've got quite a diverse musculoskeletal array of healthcare professionals within the provider community around the platform. If I can give you my take on it, you have a number of experiences that you cater for. You have an end client experience, the person who's receiving access to healthcare, and you also have a provider experience, which is for healthcare professionals who are joining the platform and making themselves available to be matched with clients that are coming into the mix. And you also have a corporate experience as well, which is for employers who are wanting to look after the wellness of their teams in the process. So There's kind of three contexts around the platform there that you had to design for, which is kind of an interesting challenge. I'd imagine that drawing on your past tech experience would have been very useful, combining that with your clinical experience. Talk us through each of the journeys, I guess, each of the contexts. If we could just sort of say client, provider, and corporate, 
What's the client experience like? What have you built for them? The end journey, really, the main focus is on the person struggling with that pain. So their experience is the, is the tightest. And I think 70% of the time is really geared towards them. So that experience, I think, when they come on, essentially, your main issue is to figure out what your problem is. And I think jumping on a, a call with a licensed practitioner is the most important part to get there. So we allow that access uh, very quickly. We can also build really cool tools inside there that's specific to musculoskeletal care. And we have thousands of pieces of content that we own Shaw, and now it plays into also the remote monitoring side. So within the exercise prescription, there's no pain levels. There's many different things behind the monitoring that actually gets pushed to the practitioner platform. So the practitioner platform allows great access and visualization as to how that patient is getting better over time. And traditionally, that's done by science-based outcome measures written based paper. We do it digitally, and we make it seamless and program into the solution for them. Now they have a better visualization, be able to remotely monitor. But also, because we can do that, and because we can you know, assign programming to do it on their own and push them in the right time, we don't need necessarily need as many sessions. So their insurance dollars goes a longer way and to get them better. So when you're coming back to work with them, it's a lot more health coaching side of things and making sure they're doing the movements and you know, self-home rolling to mobilizations to you know ice and heat use properly. Now, on the other side, on the corporate side, we have this massive network of, I guess, clinics and as well as uh, providers. That's really valuable when we take it to the larger corporation insurers. On the auto insurance side to the health insurance side, now we're able to utilize that to kind of create even more demand for our market. So the whole thing is really a market network, a better network effects, because every node that we add to it creates a lot more value for the whole network. Along with it, we provide the really cool tools for the practitioner to be able to remote monitor, be able to treat, be able to do really cool stuff that they traditionally wouldn't be able to do. And they can do this from anywhere because we can do the fully virtual. Absolutely, uh, we can reduce that cost. And if you still need clinical care now, because you're part of the network, we can refer back to you and back to your clinical for, for modalities, say for acupuncture, for shockwave therapy, things like that that can't be done virtually. Did you design for a specific type of client or patient? Did you have a persona in mind when you were sort of designing that customer experience initially? Or is, has a pattern emerged in terms of what type of people generally prefer yeah. to be engaging online? in a manner with healthcare that is anywhere, anytime, perhaps more convenient in terms of their locale and their schedules and their aspirations. What does that look like? When we first started, I was thinking, anybody can do this, actually, <laughs> but we really hit a roadblock uh, really early in the uh, go-to-market strategies. So what really worked, and from iterations, that's like product building 101, get a minimal viable product out there, put it out there in the world and be able to test it effectively and then reiterate. Uh, so we really found out that Certain locations within the country had at least a 45 minutes commute to get to a local place and a local physiotherapy. And usually those clinics are packed and they will have spots for like, you know, a couple of weeks. So the immediacy of getting results was important. And then there were so many people within the country, especially females, like mom of two, like with full-time job. How do you actually get to multiple treatments? I mentioned nine treatments for a, a prompt set earlier. How do you actually complete that when you have to like, take care of your kids, you know, work, uh, you, you would have to take days off of work or you have to, you know, get a babysitter for every treatment that you go to. So we provided a really great solution. And what we found was that because we can be as effective as in clinical experiences for common injuries, like 
low back pain, neck pain, whiplash, things like that, they solve the problem <laughs> as effectively. So we build trust around them and they come back for other issues that they might have. That's definitely good to understand the distinction because some healthcare professionals really struggle, particularly in musculoskeletal, they really struggle with the idea of digital health and how that can actually be utilized and how it enhances our modern healthcare practitioners services that are offered. I think it's important to sort of have that awareness around that when you have a, let's use the term bricks and mortar, but let's sort of say the traditional Mm -hmm. healthcare clinic model is proximity based. So it basically makes the assumption that everybody's going to come to this location. Everyone's coming to this postcode, to this clinic, they're going to walk in and they're going to follow the bouncing ball in terms of the experience that's been created physically in that environment. And that's not the case, is it? There's clearly a lot of people who don't engage with that particular style of healthcare unless it's really, really, really critical. But more often than not, there's a certain type persona that is very comfortable engaging with that particular model. But then there are other personas who they're not. So I wanted to kind of see your perspective on how that's actually played itself out through the fixable experience, because I think there's a tremendous opportunity here to kind of marry up those two worlds and kind of view the idea of musculoskeletal therapy going forward as a hybrid model that actually has a service experience that is proximity-based and physical, and then there's a service experience that's remote and asymmetrical, so not dependent on being in the same place at the same time. And I think that's really in your sweet spot in terms of what you've designed for fixable. What are your thoughts around that? You're totally right. There's still an uphill battle for a lot of people, especially if you're talking to the individuals who've had traditional experiences. There's still a good 75% of the population who've never had that experience. But if you're talking to the individuals who have had traditional experiences and they're just in that COVID bubble where they don't want to touch people, then yeah, we're a great solution. Once that's gone, I think if you have that digital experience multiple times over and you solved your problem, then I think you can go along that path. But, you know, with that being said, there's still a good 20%, 15, 20% of cases from day one, I would just say, hey, go to brick and mortar because you need a lot more of the manual supply, uh, treatment side of things. You need a few modalities, you're a little more guided, you're not ambulatory, the things you need assistance with. And I think that's important to differentiate. And I think traditional models are still kind of changing. I think this is a great time for change and just reevaluate what is actually going on within a profession. I think it requires an event like this, like COVID, to really expedite better treatment models. I think there's also a lot of dollars wasted within the system and time wasted and patient wasted, where a lot of this stuff can be done better at home. And then when you're in the clinical model, the level of service is significantly better. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to do when I was getting in to this was to be able to create better insight in lighting up really the whole field. And just there's many clinics that are close to me here that just do a terrible job. And they're really bad at what they do. They still stick people on modalities and, you know, for 20 minutes and some heat packs and you're out the door where we know within the research that this is not the right way to do. So I wanted to create a little bit of light in regards to best practices. And then when you go into a clinical model of care, then that level of service is significantly higher. You know, COVID in general, I think brought that up as well. You know, I think increased, made uh, services, in-brick services have to change and make their service levels less significantly higher. So how I see it happening in the future is what you can do for common stuff that you probably wouldn't even go into a clinical model, you come see fixable for the common injury and the preventative stuff. I really want to get people into the prevention things. There's so many things we can do to kind of prevent these things from even happening. And then fixable also becomes a great triage option. So instead of having to wait, you know, a few days 
and then you know travel two and a half hours going there assessment and back and forth you're able to see somebody online to even triage you to bring to the right place so i see fixable as being that central hub and then be able to distribute within our network that makes a lot of sense because i think it takes the front door of your clinic right into the personal life of the patient or the client depending on the terminology used but in other words you've got a digital front door that is in the hands of your client anywhere anytime it's so convenient and easy to just initiate that contact and as you say do that preliminary triaging or discussion which starts to create a habit within a person's lifespan where they're starting to indoctrinate the engagement with the healthcare system so that it's not seen as a last resort I'm too busy I'll leave it for a few days or see how I feel it's more like I can quickly engage with Jim and send a message and ask something clarify something perhaps talk about whether I'm feeling a 7 out of 10 today versus a 3 out of 10. And, and, and it starts to build that rapport and that relationship with either one or a number of healthcare professionals that actually starts to become part of your support system through your lifespan. Are you seeing some of that play itself out in terms of some of the healthcare business statistics around retention and adherence, lifetime value, things of that nature? Absolutely. And the better you create relationships with your patient, the more often they'll come back for less crazy things, things that are really uh, they need to come in for like post-operative care. So they would come in for maybe some supportive care, right? So they know their back's going to be going out like, you know, twice a year. You come in for a bit of more supportive care to make sure things are just feeling good, you know, soft tissues are feeling good, being also checking movement patterns to make sure they're good. That's where you should be spending your healthcare dollars versus having to deal with the problems all the time. I think as we progress in this field, I think there needs to be a unified system that understands your health information. That's really important. And, you know, obviously the heart disease stuff is important, but also your health state and what you need to do for your health state. But all I know is we should be taking a biopsychosocial approach in getting people better. So the physicality and like mental health side is one thing. And 75% of people with chronic illness also have mental health issues. How do you have one platform, one place where that all that information and treatment types lie or even a good stat in regards to where your health level is at and be able to address those things in a taking that biopsychosocial approach to it and things that are not just, I guess, disease-based, but things that are more health-based, right? We're really in a disease model of care where it should be really on a health model of care, really working on you know, enhancing your health and versus just putting band-aids on issues, right? And I think by these first steps, what we're doing, and also, you know, your company, what they're doing, I think are great ways to kind of connect the different dots and different services, but ultimately getting the patient to one place, one place that they can communicate with. So the fixable platform or whatever other platform they're communicating with that has their daily things they need to do to maintain their health and support better health, you know, as they age. And what is that worst perfection should be for them and how to get there? Not just taking a pill, but also but change it in their lifestyle and what they eat, how they move, and also how they think and what they do to remove thoughts or, or add better thoughts. So I think a place that can show that baseline should be in the threshold where you need to get to is incredibly important, how to get there. I want to unpack that a little bit, especially with some of the tech that you've got yeah. going on. When we look at most modern healthcare operations these days, there are digital tools being used. But they seem to focus more on marketing 
and forms and communication newsletters, things of that nature. So they're quite an established pattern of digital tools that could be used. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're a digital first healthcare operation. It just means they're a healthcare operation that uses some digital tools at this point in time, because all of that, the no-show reminder or the happy birthday card, all of that sort of part of getting people back into the clinic. And so it's kind of digital tools that are around the clinic model. So it's not a digital first healthcare model. It's a physical healthcare model with some digital tools. I'd sort of want to lead to the distinction between where you've gone with digital health thinking within the platform of Fixable. And you've already sort of remarked on it briefly around some of the AI and uh, the gamification stuff that's in there. Tell us about the tech and those differentiators perhaps between the marketing tools that musculoskeletal therapists listening to this podcast might be thinking, yeah, yeah, no, we've got some marketing, we've got a few digital tools. What are the real digital health differences that you've built into Fixable? The big difference is we're building a tool for the patient. We're building an experience for the patient. So you're creating trust around that patient experience. Every other tool you built is really around the practitioner. And it's not for the patient because you have one market in mind. We're a market network and our job is to create a better experience for that patient. And because we can create that trust, I think in the future we can charge a certain amount or even buy a subscription to gain that experience. And your experience is not just for disease, your experience is now for health. If you're able to do that, you create, as a practitioner, it's way better work. And it's a lot more in line regards to what we went into your profession before. But on the hard tech side of things, we really built our building tools, I should say, and built some and continuously building. It's products ever iterating. But we've always created feedback, and a great product design around that patient experience. And we're learning along the way as well. So how do I first engage that patient to come on the platform, to see value in the platform that's going to be different from any other experience? So just watching a YouTube video or what have you. I think that was really important. So there's many tools in there to kind of engage that. So from the different dynamic counters to for your sets and reps, dynamic changing of your programming to the machine vision I, I talked about earlier. I think all those things will create better trust and really a cool factor around getting there. And then once you're in there, how do you continuously get this individual from A to B to C? And then you know, for, for us, it's like pain to prevention to better human performance. We think that's a, a major spectrum. And so I think along the way, whatever we're building, we're going back to the patient or always asking them and looking at their data in regards to how they're interacting with the platform and what do we need to change around with that, right? And so when people have a major pain issue and they need to solve it, they'll come and solve it. And the hardest exchange was from that to prevention. So our initial cohort group that we work just for low back patients, we had 94 low back, uh, non-specific low back pain patients were able to discharge 103% better. So since your additional model was, uh, as I mentioned, uh, 70% drop off the treatment plan before it now we're able to uh, maintain that discharge from to uh, 61. So from there, we're able to bridge the gap and transition those people to a prevention, that core foundations program, and then also able to reduce the amount of costs associated with by almost half. So we created tools in there to create that better patient experience. And along the way, we saw that, hey, there's also really great practitioners that want to also do very similar on the similar approach. And so we, we got those guys on our platform and then we built a the practitioner portal around them. And so now we see that we'll even want to pay for that solution. So not only are they going to get the exercise prescription tool, the remote monitoring, all that, but also we can create demand because we're working on the sales side to, to, to generate more demand for the whole 
ecosystem so everyone's feeding and then also be able to just create a whole ecosystem around it to increase its value even more. So all the tools that we're building, it really comes down to what people are telling us and how they're using it. And we're just taking the feedback. We're running with the feedback. There's obviously, from a UX research standpoint, there's things that they tell us and then the data shows. So we really have to show that, take the data and then take their suggestions and how they actually interact with it and make a sound decision. And that's the tougher part. There's many things we built you don't see in there now because there was tech debt, <laughs> a lot of tech debt. So it's not an easy thing to build and we're continuously uh, evolving and getting better. Tell me a little bit about some of the augmentation that you've introduced and will continue to introduce going forward. That's a really important thing to bring out in your strategy in terms of where you're going, particularly around ideas such as digital health therapeutics and digital health clinical engagement. There's more to it than just a video, a voice, some chat going backwards and forward. So mm-hmm. tell me about the augmentation side. There's many utilization for it. And it's not easy. It's a lot of machine learning and, you know, teaching models. One of the greatest feedback we get from people is that, you know, after watching my practitioner show me the exercise once or twice, I go home. One of the key reasons I don't do it because I don't know how to do it properly. <laughs> and even watching a video again, I have to look in the mirror and I still don't know if I'm doing it properly because you're not a biomechanic expert or a physio or rehab expert. We take it for granted how well we can do those movements, right? So a squat, for example, you should be able to get ad hoc feedback as to, hey, if your spine straight, is your knee past your toes? Is your knees wobbling in? We call that medial winking or valgus formation. No, and the patient should get real-time feedback, right? So why do you have to pay another 80, 90 bucks to have somebody to kind of take a look at that when that's something that the system can do and probably do it better than what the practitioner can do, right? And there's something, it's some take-home exercise and movements that you should be doing on a daily basis to get better. So you should be doing it properly. <laughs> I think one utilization is that there's many other utilizations from angle. So where you are post-operatively, you know, you got for a full knee post-op, you need to get extension first or ACL repair. You need to get full extension first. So it'll be able to measure that over time. If you haven't hit a certain threshold, it's going to ping us. So we'll also remotely monitor there as well. There's many others. I don't want to give it all away, but I think eventually even to assist the diagnosis, to be able to even start performing the physical for you, and then you can go back and judge it and make your own conclusion as to what the actual diagnosis is. And it just makes you a lot more objective in what you do. As practitioners, we forget as well, right? You know, we have to put all these angles down and these orthopedic tests down as the positive or negative. But many times we forget the whole file. We've got to review these whole files. So why can't a system be able to have that information for you already through objective measures and let you know, like when you're about to go see the patient, this is where they're at. This is what you need to work on. You should have a really good picture as to where the patient's status is at before they jump on that one-on-one session with the other in clinic or virtually. I think there are deficiencies in the current musculoskeletal field of tools that rely heavily on some kind of video being enough to yeah. prescribe and somehow that's going to deal with the appropriate replication of the simulated movement as well as the commitment and the behavioral change that needs to go with it as well. The aspiration around the augmented reality and how that can really address those problems or weaknesses or deficiencies within the video prescription type model is super exciting. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story unfold in that particular area. In other areas as well, outside of the augmented reality, any other things you can talk to at the moment as far as the health tech that's in the mix, either currently or pending? We're working on some hardware integration. 
I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. All right. That'll really differentiate us be compared to any other products that's currently out there. Those are still you no know, patent pending, so I'll just keep that for now. <laughs> Very good. So we'll, we'll watch this space for the patent pending announcements that will be coming out in the future. That also brings us into, I guess, the ecosystem discussion around how products like Fixable can work with products like Core Plus, for example, down the line. Where do you sort of see yourself evolving with Fixable over the coming three to five years? I mean, this is a human problem. I think Australia actually has a great ecosphere when it comes to very active population. Many products coming out of the, in the region, you know, Core Plus, some of your competitors are down there as well. And I think uh, you mentioned with Core Plus, you know, I've seen it on the website, you know, did the research myself and you know, the has the EMR component of it and then additions, right? Additions that be able to now close this network. It's very synergistic for me because our job is to create really cool tools so practitioner can diversify the practice. You know, there's this whole component of value-based care that I'm very, very passionate about. So what that means is essentially you can control the cost of getting people better because it's a lot more predictable. So how can we move, utilize digital solutions to create a better value-based care solution for the patient? That's really, really important thought process for me. Integrating into the core plus, I think all your networks of solutions Right now, we deal with MSK. I would love to have you know digital solutions and be able to you know refer out to others who can do other things <laughs> than what we do. That ecosystem is really important. I think I spoke a little bit about that biopsychosocial care model. We can't do it all. We need really great people within the ecosystem that's vetted that we're able to now tackle this together for that patient. So, and having a core of the digital data or the the health information, now you're able to expand to different solutions within that core foundation to be able to now service better. You've certainly understood the brand then because that is the vision for product like Core Plus, understanding that the world changes all the time, but there are certain core activities that need to be addressed in a health business, regardless as to whether it's bricks and mortar or online. That idea of the pluses, well, every day brings a new insight and a new potential as far as that's concerned. Mm -hmm. And as the world evolves in terms of understanding the tools and the possibilities, on the one hand, we tend to be limited by technology in terms of what we can do and why we want to do it. But on the other hand, we can also be limited just by culture and limitations in the mindset of the healthcare community that resists or perhaps is busy enough doing it the way they're already doing it. And so the change is pain, pain and suffering, or at least it's perceived to be that For way. Sure. So there are a lot of dynamics to health tech and how we actually innovate in health techs. But I do think it's about the humans, and I think we have to evolve at human speed. And when there's value proposition that is good for the consumer, good for the healthcare professional, then it tends to be easier to sort of move the needle forward. And, and I think that's an important part of the potential here with Fixable, because not only is there, I think, a if you'll forgive the pun, and enhanced just playing off that augmented reality side, but there's an enhancement here to how musculoskeletal can actually engage with their clients asymmetrically and more effectively in combination with still doing some of the physical work in person, whether it's at a clinic or itinerantly or in a mobile capacity, whatever the case is. But there's also the idea, I guess, of how the workforce in healthcare is able to reimagine the way that they work. So as a health professional, the traditional bricks and mortar model requires you to live close to where that clinic is in order to be able to work there. And I think that model is being challenged now. I think that digital health 
brings a whole new level of opportunity to be able to create a better health professional experience in the workplace as well. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great point. And I think it leaves a lot of room for people to not being so typecast in regards to what they have to do. And I think that's incredibly important. It leaves options, you know, and it's really trending with this current gig economy. And I think also this mass exodus of workers, right? And, you know, I I don't know how it is in Australia right now in regards to hiring physiotherapists, but it's extremely hard. (laughs) There's a huge backlog of graduates right now. So it was tough already originally prior to COVID, but now it's been more difficult. So I think clinical Model is going to have challenges, and uh, brick and mortar is going to have challenges. I still own brick and mortar, so we definitely see that as well. But moving into the future, I think there needs to be a change. If you start changing the model of payment to more patient-centric, and that centers around getting this person better faster, and maybe get pay more to get them better faster, this the whole business around this will change, and. That's where value-based care comes into play. So how can you add more value, get people better faster? And then the upside, maybe the side of making more money uh, would be to keep them healthy, right? So how can we do that in the future? I have a couple insights to that and like, I think what we can do, but that requires a whole change in how people think and the whole payment process, the insurer process. We're trying to work on that right now here with a few insurers, but it's difficult to get there. But I think if we start moving away from this pay per session model, pay per session just incentivizes the practitioner to do more sessions. That makes no sense. Where it should be paid to get this person better, faster. And because you do that, people love what you do and refer more people to the system to do this, right? So whatever we have to do to get there is what we're trying to build around. So that's why we built the product fixable around getting this patient better, faster. I absolutely agree with you, Jim. I think two really obvious strategies in terms of not just providing better outcomes for citizens, for people, but also creating better work lives for healthcare professionals, the human beings who actually deliver the care are in the lap of digital health innovation. In my view, there's the idea of how the incentives work or the value-based care framework that you're describing, but also think the scalability of digital health around an asymmetric engagement between the human being delivering the healthcare service and the human being receiving the healthcare service where we break down that dependency on being in the same place at the same time all the time in order to get access to the healthcare. And that means that we don't necessarily, so, you know, if you kind of just quickly model it out, if a particular issue needed 10 sessions at 45 minutes a session, traditionally, that's an input of 10 times 45 minutes for the healthcare professional and 10 times 45 minutes for the client. Now, with digital health, some of that support and coaching and education and feedback systems and soon to be some of the augmentation feedback and all the rest of it, that means that potentially the input from the human health professional might be a third of what's actually needed under a traditional model, but the value is greater than the input that's going in there. If you bring in your um, example there of the value-based healthcare, if the reward then is greater than the input that's going in then it's a higher value return to the delivery of healthcare, but it's a lower overall cost to the healthcare system. And that person's not burning out because they're able to actually not have to frantically keep up with all these appointments back to back in order to support people. So that's the scalability 
that comes from it as well. There's tremendous opportunity. It just needs, I guess, you're right, it's a multivariate challenge because there are so many stakeholders involved. And that mm-hmm. sort of goes back to what I was saying about innovation and moving at human speed. But I guess what we need to do is kind of lead from the front and showcase how these models work. And I think that's right in your hands at the moment, Jim, with Fixable, because you've created a great platform. You've been testing and iterating. You're breaking through now with the market penetration and potentially some global expansion. So that's all we need, Jim, is just to continue to innovate and continue to put these ecosystems together to bring these communities together. And slowly but surely, we'll move in a certain direction. Everybody will start to see the benefits. Yeah, lead by example, just do. And instead of preaching all day, get it done <laughs> and iterate, fail, and fail forward. So there's nothing more you can you know, push it. And if you want to go back to the oligarchs and you know fight that battle, it's very tough. <laughs> so if you can show a model and show by proof and show by case study and show by stats and numbers and then build a community around that, I think that's a great way for David to take that, take down that Goliath, but one step at a time, right? How you're kind of seeing the EV trend right now against the traditional car manufacturers, right? Absolutely. And that took a little bit of time as well when you think about it. It's definitely a slow start, but then the momentum starts to accelerate as I guess the paradigm moves in that direction. So I think we're at a really important turning point, I think, as far as how we modernize and reimagine healthcare in that context, especially with some of the social pressures that have been put on the community through the pandemic and whether it's concepts like the Great Resignation that they talk about, whether it's people who are now departing the cities in favour of more remote living and more space and Mm. less stress and things of that nature. So, And by the way, those people may also include skilled workers who are exiting the healthcare system for whatever reason. So the opportunities there for the entrepreneurs, for the innovators to target those personas, support them, and through that, gain the proof and the evidence that these models do work and can work. Yeah. And that starts to inspire the change in the late adopters, so to speak. Jim, thank you so much. Really looking forward to hearing more about Fixable. And we'll have appropriate links in the show notes. And really appreciate you telling us about the evolutions and some of the exciting stuff you're doing around that augmented reality, the ecosystem between the consumers and the healthcare professionals. So very exciting times. And I can't wait to hear more about what you're doing there, Jim. Thank you for having me today. I really appreciate your time. I love what you're building in regards to this community around healthcare. So I think it's it's much needed. COVID-19 has been a massive stimulus for us and might not even exist if it wasn't for COVID, you know, with, I guess, a silver lining. But I think it's really needed. And healthcare is one of the last things to innovate because there's so many red tape, which even requires more innovation and more bold steps towards the right direction to, to create change. So, and better change, not just change, but better change towards better outcomes. Thank you for this. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And I really appreciate your thoughts on that as well, Jim. We're definitely in the right time for accelerated digital health innovation and adoption. It's great to see the wave coming through and so many surfboards up on the wave pushing forward with sort of embracing that wave of change. No, it's really great. Thanks, Jim. Have a wonderful day and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, 
leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.